Welcome to Canine Nation. It's Sunday, March 24th, 2019. This is episode 129. Hello, everyone. This is Eric Brad. Welcome to the podcast. You know, it's hard for me to believe that it's been almost 18 years since I first read Gene Donaldson's The Culture Clash. And shortly thereafter, I read Don't Shoot the Dog by Karen Pryor. Both of these books were instrumental in changing how I thought about dogs and how to train them. I think the most important change for me was that both of these books got me to consider that there might be a more systematic and logical way of working with our dogs based on actual observations and what we knew about the biology and behavior of dogs. Over the years, I've done a lot of reading and learning about canine ethology, behavior, and behavior analysis, and I've learned a lot. One of the more interesting things I've learned is that not everyone is as keen as I am to see what science has to say about dogs. It's remarkable to me that over the past 18 years, many of the same objections that I have heard about positive training and behavioral science still persist today in the dog training world. Maybe most disappointing to me is the fact that advocates of more traditional force-based training continue to spread misinformation and half-truths about positive training based on science. It would be impossible for me to cover all of the half-truths and myths that I've heard floating around the dog world, both online and in the real world, but I thought I would take a few moments to detail some of the most common myths and to talk a little bit about why people may be so protective in holding on to their favorite ideas about dogs and training. So I hope you enjoy this essay that I wrote called Myths About Positive Reinforcement and Science-Based Training. There's more than one way to train a dog. A walk through the pets section of a bookstore or a quick search of Google or YouTube for dog training will find you a dazzling array of methods, techniques, and systems to get your dog trained just the way you always wanted. To me, they basically break down into three general categories. The do-it-or-else method that we sometimes called traditional dog training, the do-it-for-this method that use positive reinforcement to reward the desired behaviors, and the growing group of hybrid methods which advocate for selective use of both traditional and positive reinforcement techniques in differing amounts. To say that dog training represents a sizable revenue stream is an understatement. International pet store chain PetSmart is estimated to derive over $4.5 million annually from their dog training services alone. According to a report by AMR Research, PetSmart reports that 1% of their overall sales come from dog training services. And this says nothing about the other large dog training service chains and the literally tens of thousands of independent dog training service providers in local markets. So, is there money at stake in defending your particular dog training methods if you're a professional dog trainer? You bet there is. 
Each training style has its experts, proponents, and supporters. Traditional training has been with us for decades, possibly even centuries. It has a long history. Training based on positive reinforcement and behavioral science is relatively new to the general public and has only gotten widespread attention and exposure in the last 20 or 30 years. The results of positive reinforcement training methods like mark and reward or clicker training have been nothing short of astounding. Behaviors and achievements in dog sports that took months or even years to achieve using more traditional methods are now being accomplished by skilled positive trainers in a matter of days or weeks. And yet, in the face of such amazing success, a number of misconceptions and half-truths have started to circulate about science-based training and positive reinforcement. Remember when I said there was money at stake? Change can be hard, and resisting change can be a messy business. So let's talk about some of these myths about positive reinforcement and positive training. Here are a few of the most common myths and misconceptions that I see floating around. Positive reinforcement only works with certain types or breeds of dog. This is one of my favorites. My dogs are all trained using positive training techniques and behavioral science. My Belgian Shepherds are widely considered one of the more difficult-to-train dog breeds. Our dogs do many activities and sports with us, including dog agility, dog obedience, tracking, herding, rally obedience, and others. In addition, they're wonderful companions in our homes and regularly socialize with family and friends, and they have lots of dog friends to run and play with. It's a simple fact that hundreds of species have been trained using positive reinforcement, including horses, hyenas, rhinos, bears, dolphins, killer whales, cats, lizards, and many, many more. So if you can't train your Malamute with it, you're probably not doing it right. Using food in positive reinforcement training is just bribing the dog. By definition, a bribe is paid before you get what you want. When you give something after you get what you want, it's considered a reward or a payment. Our human society is full of examples of payments and rewards, beginning with the paychecks most of us receive for our work each week. Payment or reward can also come in the form of a promotion, extra time off, or a trip paid for by the company. All of these things are offered as motivators to provide incentive for us to do a good job, to do good work. It just so happens that dogs value food a great deal, and it makes a perfect substitute for money when it comes to paying them for their efforts. Where bribes represent payment for a promise of something later, food rewards used in positive reinforcement training amount to payment for working with us. No more, no less and they are as motivating for the dogs as our paychecks and perks are for us. Using a toy to reward your dog with tugging is dangerous or could make your dog aggressive. After doing some research, I found that there is absolutely no scientific evidence to support the assertion that playing tug with your dog will make them more aggressive. One of the key lessons for my dogs in positive reinforcement training is cause and effect. If you do this behavior for me, you will be rewarded with this goodie. One of the first things we teach our dogs is to drop it 
and to take it when playing with a toy. If our dogs don't drop the toy, we simply stop the tug game. So quite the opposite of making our dogs aggressive or dangerous, teaching them to play tug with us using our rules for drop it and take it actually teaches them to play in a cooperative fashion and to control their bodies and their play style. We can get them to drop anything at any time because our training frequently rewards them for letting go of things, either by resuming the fun game we were playing or offering them some food treat. Trainers who use positive reinforcement have unruly or unreliable dogs because they don't say no to their dogs. This is probably the most misunderstood aspect of positive training. Positive reinforcement is used to teach behaviors. It's not something that can be used to stop behaviors. Every dog will eventually do something we don't want them doing, and a good trainer will find a way to stop or interrupt those unwanted behaviors. Properly timed and appropriate interruptions or corrections, the removal of a desired item or a timeout, can be used to communicate that a behavior is unacceptable. Management strategies can also be used to prevent the dog from doing an unwanted behavior while you train them a more acceptable alternative behavior. Ideally, an owner should find an alternative behavior that they prefer and teach that rather than simply saying no and providing no additional information. Positive reinforcement trainers tend to have a great sense of timing, and so when they do need to correct or interrupt their dogs, they often find that they do it less often and with less intensity than other trainers might. The goal here is to teach the dog what you want to do and not focus so much on what you don't want. These are just a few of the most common that I encounter, but I'm sure you can think of many more. You might think that there would be a lot of debate about these myths on the Internet already, and certainly it's out there if you go looking for it. But these myths persist even in the face of scientific research and practical evidence supporting positive reinforcement and behavioral science-based training. Its detractors persistently make false claims and misrepresent the facts about these forms of training. Positive reinforcement and behavioral science-based training have produced highly motivated, highly skilled performance dogs that have achieved the highest awards in dog activities of all kinds. You would think that people would believe what they can see with their own eyes. But remember that change is hard for many people, and new ideas can be even harder. Humans have had dogs in our lives for thousands of years, and we've gotten along fine with them for the most part. Do we really need to look at our relationship with dogs and find better ways to train? In my opinion, yes, we do. Learning to use these new tools is important. You can put screws into wood using a hammer, but as we now know, using a screwdriver is a much better way to get the job done. In the next podcast, I'll take a brief look at some common myths about mark and reward training methods like clicker training. We'll also take a look at why these half-truths remain so popular and what we can do to test them out for ourselves. I have found that although it can be difficult, I need to challenge myself to look at new ideas and approaches. I need to keep reading, keep watching, keep thinking for myself instead of relying on information that may be outdated even though I find it comfortable. We all want to do the best for our dogs, 
and sometimes that means making the effort to learn to do things a little differently, even if it means we have to learn to accept some new ideas and new information about our dogs and dog training. My motto is, work smarter, not harder with your dogs. Don't believe in myths and half-truths. Find out for yourself. If you enjoy these podcasts, why not drop by our website at caninenation.ca and you'll find dozens more to listen to. While you're at it, perhaps click on the donate button and offer us a dollar or five or whatever you'd like to give to help support the podcast and help us keep the lights on. Or you can support the podcast by spreading the word on social media or leaving us a review on iTunes. I'd love to hear feedback from you about the podcast. If you have any comments, stories, or questions, you can email me at talk2 at caninenation.ca. That's talk and the number 2 at caninenation.ca. I look forward to your comments. Canine Nation is also on Facebook. You can find our Canine Nation page where we post information about the latest articles, podcasts, and news about Canine Nation events. We also have a discussion group, the Canine Nation Forum. It's a place to discuss the podcast, the Canine Nation essays, life with dogs, and training our dogs, or just to share some information we found around the Internet. Thank you for listening. I'd appreciate it if you'd share this with the dog people in your life. I guess that's all for now. Until next time, have fun with your dogs.